Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Hang on a sec. Inja, yeah. do you mind closing the door? Because, you know, if I say terrible things about you, I don't want you to overhear. <laughs> I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week we're talking to Tati McLeod and her sister India McLeod. Because we were always a bit labelled les anglais, yeah, the English girls, all a bit eccentric. Not in a way that was mean, I wouldn't say. No, no, just... Not just bullying or anything, just a bit, still a bit, oh yeah, but you know, you're a bit different. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. I would say that it was little women with emotional volatility and periods. She wants to gather people together. She wants to have, and I'm like, no, just, just, we don't just want to watch our iPads individually. Okay. And not, and not talk. Okay. That's fine. And also the embarrassing thing is I don't even know who I'm talking to, whether it's India. Or <laughs> it's Tassie. It's Tassie. <laughs> and with the help of our sponsors, Find My Past, we'll be delving a little further back into the family history of all of our guests. Also, cardiganshire. Yeah. Cardiganshire. Cardigan <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I love cardigans. It all makes sense. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Tati and India spent a large part of their childhoods in France, with their mum and two other sisters being Les Anglais in a very rural and cut-off part of the country. It's provided rich material for extrovert Tati's career as a stand-up. We talk about their experience overseas, about living together and becoming proper friends during lockdown, about appetites, memories and English TV. But the McLeods, it is said, and not by me, can talk. So when we finally got online after some technical hitches, Tati started by talking about that. She definitely kept the door wide open so she could hear everything that I was saying in case she had to pick up on things and do damage control when she came back on the mic. Sisters are so devious. <laughs> you know what the funniest thing was is that one of the things I was going to say was that, you know, in my role in the family, I was very much the person in charge with tech. And <laughs> I've really got to rethink that now. <laughs> uh, it's quite a specific label as well. Like if you, yeah. did you organise all jobs? Like you can be in charge of, paper items you can be in charge of <laughs> it's just something that accidentally happened because we had like a quite a complicated tv satellite set up to try and get english uh. television and i used to be the person always who knew how to tune in the television to the satellite to the vhs video player to record programs that was my job but i can't say that anymore because i've just completely disproved myself <laughs> of any kind of tech ability <laughs> Okay, so I start every episode. If you could introduce yourself, my name is first name and surname, and then um, where you are in the family and where you are in relation to the sibling that we're going to talk to you next, please. So when you're ready. Lovely. My name is Tati McLeod. I am the third from the top. Yes. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> 
it's going well. Because I don't know if it's taken it from the bottom, but <laughs> so I am the third daughter and my sister Inja is the eldest. So I'm wedged in the middle and she's right at the top. She's the firstborn. And am I right in thinking they're all girls? Yes, correct. All women. Mm-hmm. All women. Big pardon. No, sorry, that wasn't, I wasn't saying that in the way that don't call us girls. There was nothing feminist about that statement. It's because every time I think of it, the fact that we were all women, it sort of nods in my head towards little women, um, right. except that it, it it was nothing like that. But yes, all all girls. I feel like it was very intense. I don't know if that's sort of because it was a big family or also because it was a family full of girls. Sort of chaos springs to mind if you know what I mean. And now that I've got children of my own, I've only got two, I think, wow, if you doubled that, that would be so full on. <laughs> so tell me, then, tell me then what your childhood was like when you were little and what your sort of childhood home felt like with these four rumbustious, I'm going to say, girls. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I had a really lovely upbringing. You know, I, when I think back on my childhood, it's always really warm, actually. I certainly feel very privileged in saying that, you know. So we we grew up in France. I don't remember a huge amount before France because we moved there when I was four and we had a house in the countryside and mum bought a house that was actually built by a British man and he designed it in the style of an English pub. <laughs> so... <laughs> And it's interesting. So you lived in the coach and horses in France, <laughs> lived in the coach. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very sort of big experience. I think for me, I was twelve when we moved, and I'd already done a year of secondary school in in, in England. It was quite a culture shock, and we sort of landed in this house in the countryside, um, sort of. And I think that probably so maybe made the family unit feel more intense, you know. Mm. Both my parents are English, but my my parents are divorced. So when we moved to France, it was just my mum and me and my sisters. It's a female only household in every sense of the word because it was just just women, my mum and my sisters. I remember actually really quite wanting to not stand out too much you know I didn't because we were always a bit labeled les anglais yeah the English girls all a bit eccentric a bit a bit different and so actually I remember quite wanting to um just really sort of go under the radar a bit more there was a feeling slightly didn't matter how good our French was Mm. how much we blended in and I think I mean we spoke French to a degree that people wouldn't they like, didn't know. They, they couldn't know tell. your English, or they. I mean, but we were all. Yeah, we were always like, oh, the the McLeod, the yeah. English girls. Yeah, there was yeah. something about us. I yeah. guess it was in the names as well. Yeah, yeah. But there was something about us that even if we were irreproachably French, mm. we fundamentally were always still considered not in a way that was mean. I wouldn't say no, no, just, just not just bullying or anything. No, no, just no. a bit, still a bit. Oh yeah, but you know, you're a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> India described your um, four sisters in the house and growing up as a bit intense and maybe moving to France and having that experience of being a bit separate and apart and a bit different made it even more intense. Tati, I don't know if that rings true for you. I think probably definitely what, what an element to it would have been the fact that we actually lived in really quite a rural place. Mm. So not only was it in the countryside, but Compared to the impression I get sometimes of British countryside, which it is the countryside, of course, but I get the vibe that there are places here which are the countryside but are still better connected. Where we lived, 
you you got the bus into school you got the bus home from school but you wouldn't like on a Saturday get a bus into town no one did that that wasn't a done thing so when we were at home on a weekend say the only way to get out of the house would be to go to a friend's house if you invited and then your mum would drive you and then come and pick you up or from the age of 16 people started to get scooters so there was quite a limited amount of ways in which really you could sort of independently go off and explore. The three of them are only sort of five years apart. Um, mm. So I think there was quite a lot of sort of me as the eldest looking for often peace and quiet and taking myself off and going to, to read books and then um, sort of a, a bit of a whirlwind of the other three. I was at home all weekend when I was 16, 17. The odd weekend, maybe once every three months, I might go to a friend's house. But otherwise, I'd be at home every evening, all weekend. And I think that that definitely is quite, well, that's quite intense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we were also in a, living in a place where, you know, people had lived there for a long time. It wasn't, it wasn't like they had loads of influx of sort of people no. moving from different places. No, we were definitely... Um, I mean, I don't really remember anyone else who, there was one girl who came to, no, seriously, there was one girl who came to my school called Lindsay and she was from Ireland mm. um, and, there, and there was us. Mm. But otherwise it was often people who my friends would live on the same road as their uh, grandparents and uncles and aunts and every Sunday they'd have a repas de famille, family all getting together, eating together. So it was a very community, family-based, rural sort of environment. So if it wasn't like Little Women, what was it like? I would say that it was Little Women with emotional volatility and periods. You know, it was definitely not a saccharine version of that. It wasn't cute. It was loving and wonderful, but it had all of the extra elements. It had all the humanity that comes with being people growing up and having sisters, fights, arguments, <laughs> stealing of clothes. Um, yeah. Such a big one. Oh, terrible. I'll just do a little side on this because that was something that I really actually struggled with when I went to university and when I moved in with people who weren't my sisters. And I just started taking their clothes and wearing them. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. It was so bad. I I really randomly ended up doing this audition for like a new character on, on Hollyoaks. It was very exciting. And the whole thing was covered by Heat magazine. And I took, I mean, I stole clothes of one of my flatmates without asking her <laughs> and then put them back in a room after I'd worn them. And of course, because of the Heat magazine coverage, she saw these photos of me wearing <laughs> top to bottom her clothes. Um <laughs> Now, of course, I look back on that and I thought that was completely unacceptable. But that's an example of like a dynamic that I definitely had with my sisters, which it took me a while as an adult outside the family home to be like, no, no, you can't do that with other people. You definitely can't. So if you're the clothes stealer, or maybe everyone was stealing clothes, how would you briefly <laughs> pen portray each of your three sisters? So India is the eldest. Mm. Um, she's quite a bit older than me and I definitely think that there was a sense of separation because she was the eldest and the only child for oh it must be about five years and so there's always that sense of it was India and then it was the rest of us. Mm. Were you sort of the second mum at all because obviously your mum was there your dad was not there and then you're quite a lot older were you lent on a bit 
I wouldn't say a second mum because I wouldn't have perceived myself as particularly maternal in that way with them. <laughs> um, it's not uncommon, is it, I, when you have the oldest child, and I was quite a bit older, and maybe in, in single parent households where the eldest does step in. So it wasn't like a pure sibling relationship because I think there was that extra dynamic to it. And then, and then there is Oki. There's only twenty months between myself and Octavia. The names of the names are quite big. <laughs> I'm just warning you it's now. Quite, quite posh names. Am I allowed yes. to say that? Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I used to have a bit about it in my show. Well, basically, to a bit where I was like, I know I sound really posh, but I went to a state school, and you should hear what my sister's names are. <laughs> you know, it's it's. India, Octavia, and Bodicea. So, relatively speaking, I, I had the <laughs> I had the most normal name in the family. <laughs> I think, rather than it being a class thing, I think it was more about wanting to pick bold names. So, you know, like Bodicea, Queen Boudicca, Octavia, sort of Roman Emperor. I think. Don't fact check that. Alexandria, like the great city of Egypt. That's how I look at it, certainly. It's sort of wanting to have long, strong, rich, big names. And did that work? Did your mum create a kind of clutch of strong and bold girls? I would say so, yeah. If you spend some time with us all together, and I've had ex-boyfriends be a little bit like, oh my God, this is so much. It's nonstop. There's a lot of conversation. Everyone's opinionated. There's strength of characters. It can be um, shouting and then it's laughing together, but it's certainly not placid. Yeah, the McLeods, that's what people, my husband has said that since. He's like, the McLeods, they can talk and they can eat. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) We would say FHB, family holdback. Oh. So family holdback. We're all... Uh, I was going to say big eaters, but we're we're quite hearty. You know, we we were outdoors a lot, sort of imagining a bit farm girls. We were outdoors a lot. And so when we would have guests over, which wasn't very often, but on the rare occasions that we'd have people come over or mum would have a dinner party and the children were invited to eat at the table, it would be FHB. <laughs> and my mum would out, yeah, my mum would out the side of her mouth being like, girls, it's uh, FHB, FHB. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise we would eat everything. <laughs> Or we went round to other people's houses. We had to sort of hold back a little bit on how much we would eat because <laughs> Mum was was sort of worried it'd be a bit it'd be a bit embarrassing. We saw we sort of finish everything <laughs> and then sort of eat everything in sight. So yeah, that's where the FHB, FHB came from. This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. In 1921, life in England and Wales could be tough, but there are lots of examples of humour in the census records. Constance Bernard Fitzhammond listed her three young children's occupations as getting into mischief and getting into more mischief, and for her 11-month-old baby, occupying feeding bottles. Did your grandparents add a quirky note when they completed the census? View the record itself at findmypast.co.uk to find out. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. 
To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. We lived in a very British household because my mom doesn't speak French. Oh. We would speak English at home. When eventually we managed to get the SAS site working, we got, I think we're one of the first, you know, we got our hands on a free view skybox as soon as we could so we could get English channels. At first it was only channel five. <laughs> so we became <laughs> avid watchers of Family Affair. We used to get VHS videos recorded of just English television. So we'd have a friend go over to England. They'd pop a VHS in record just anything until the tape stopped bring it back and we would watch it I mean we would honestly we'd suck on the detail we'd be there watching adverts like rewind (laughs) what are they selling in England (laughs) we were just obsessed with English food and uh, we um, and we would we would just yearn for anything English and we would go to so a, a a chain of supermarkets called Leader Price. I don't know if they have them anymore. I think it was German actually opened. It was a bit like Aldi or Lidl. They sold in there white sliced bread, like English white sliced bread, and we would just demolish it. We would like beg our mum to buy it. And she thought, I'm not buying that. We're in France. (laughs) (laughs) I was just laughing so much about the Leader Price bread. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's the cultural switch. It's the opposite. Mm. And I think that happens to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk a bit in my show about this idea of if you've lived abroad for too long, you, you're basically, you're screwed because yeah. all you can ever see is sort of the best and the worst in both countries. Mm. And you live in this constant state of, oh, well, do you know in England, this, 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 and this wouldn't happen. Mm. And then you get to England, you're like, well, in France, this is this and this and this wouldn't happen. And you're always in between the two and the grass is always greener. And I think the leader price bread. I mean, well, leader price bread definitely is not better bread than most no. French bread. I mean, that's just the objective. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's you know we've got access to all the hobbies in the world and we're out oh, yeah, here buying yeah. sourdough baguette so did you miss home then is it fair to say did I do you mean did I miss England yeah that's a bit of a difficult question because in the sense of I don't really remember England at that age because mm. I moved to France when I was four I wouldn't even really call England home I was also born in Zimbabwe. I think it was for my mum, there was an element of definitely of her missing England and her sort of giving that nostalgia to us. I I didn't actually really know what what England was like. Do you have a song that would take you back to those years of watching English VHSs in your um, pub style English home in France or (laughs) a song that you shared as kids that you liked? Uh, Yes, my mum really liked quite curveball choices actually but she loved the the Fuji's No Woman No Cry we'd have that one playing on repeat Janet Jackson oh, what was that was that everywhere I go every smile I see I know you are there running back at me <laughs> is this is this like a test that she she said she said a keyword <laughs> um I don't nine out of ten respondents I yeah I said uh well my mum so mm, Oh, Lady in Red. Oh. Should have said that one. What's the one by Puff Daddy? No, always remember you. That one. She so, remembered Janet Jackson and um, the Fugees. Ah, yeah. But I think this is the thing, isn't it? Because maybe she was becoming a teenager, really, and I'd left home. 
it's interesting talking to siblings about their memories of family versus yours. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I, you know, you're like, oh, oh, did that happen? Okay. I think that's so true. And it's one of the themes of this podcast is that my sort of pet theory is that no two siblings are born into the same family because Mm. the family moves on like a river. So you sort of get plunked in at one point and then the family river moves on. So you were there when... Um, Lady in Red was being played and this was happening and that was happening. And then Tatty grew up in another body of water. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it had moved yeah. on. Yeah, And so yeah, you definitely. don't all share the same family experience at all. No, it's, it is really interesting. And it's um, just sort of to add to that as well. I don't know whether one's own sort of personality also affects how you sort of view what happened as well and view your childhood you know so I look at for example my two children like I have one who if I tell them off they're devastated I have the other one she just walks off and laughs you know and I sort of think (laughs) oh I wonder how that's going to play out like if one would be like oh mum was quite shouty and then they would be like no she wasn't you know I think all these variables people don't think of it's it's fine that you have different character children but how Mm. that's influenced by what the family was up to at the time that they arrived Mm. people don't talk Mm. about in the complexities of all those interrelated Mm. factors in my humble opinion as podcast podcast. (laughs) yeah yeah no totally (laughs) so on this podcast we're really interested in you know brothers and sisters and mums and dads and often like nuclear families and what happens in the family home but find my past the sponsors of this podcast they're just geniuses because they can look at that nuclear family and they can trace its roots way back so their researcher has had a look at your family tree and I've got well I've got some research in front of me I can't give you all of it but it's really lovely and there are original documents photos of houses that your family lived in in the beginning of the 20th century and before Wow! Um, and some lovely hand like original handwriting of your relatives who filled in census forms and things with what they did for their jobs Oh, lovely. So hopefully that's nice. So the story um, that I've, the little story I can tell you, John James, that's your maternal grandfather, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Mum's grandfather, Dad. yeah. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was identified thanks to the fact that he had a really long working history on the railroads in Wales. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, right, yeah, 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 a tra- yeah. yeah. So John James, your maternal grandfather, was born in 1881 in Cardiganshire in Wales. Also Cardiganshire? Yeah. In Cardiganshire. Cardiganshire. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I love cardigans. It all makes sense. In 1921, in the census, which has just been digitised, they're residing in Green Hill in Cardiganshire. And he's employed a plate layer for Great Western Railway. And he would regularly patrol the section he was responsible for between one and two miles in length. And there's a lovely picture that they lived in in 1921, which I can send you on the census as well, which is a beautiful slate, sort of doll's house looking cottage in the middle of the Welsh countryside. Mum will love that. That's That's so sweet. Also, you know, really amazing because I do like to travel by train. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) it's all making sense. So your sister, you said, is a lot, quite a lot older than you and was kind of a bit separate from the other three. So at what stage did you become friends? Like you've just had a cup of tea before this podcast record. I'm guessing you're friends. She's agreed to mm. do this with you. <laughs> when did that happen? Um, well, actually, so we, I think definitely that the, there's a shift that happens when you become an adult and that really changed the relationship. When India was 20, I would have been 13 and that's just not, 
feasible to shift I think in particular it's about shifting for us from that dynamic of you being the big sister who's looking after me and us being equal adults who can sort of meet each other as and and, and build a relationship as friends and mm. I think that that's what took quite a, a long time to develop but I would say actually a big shift in our relationship was actually during the pandemic we're more in just that pure sort of friend relationship although I do still feel sometimes it's like slight older sister role like I feel like I look out you know I want to look out for her you know I don't know if she said that during the first lockdown she came to live with us because I had just gone through a breakup and I ended up moving in with my sister in March 2020 Oh, and at wow. that point, well, yeah, it's, you know, sort of like, oh, you know what comes next. <laughs> at that point that I moved in with her, it was just meant to be a, a couple of weeks. And so she lived with us, I think, probably about five, six months, maybe. That was, I think, the first time we'd sort of spent a really long time. And it was obviously really intense because it was just, you know, us as adults together. And and it it definitely gave me sort of a more of an insight again into her personality and also at that time I was always a performer I was still performing then I was doing stand-up but I was working my, my bread and butter job was working as a tour guide so not only was there a pandemic but it was also really affected the industry that I was working in so in the time that I moved in with her I went through a breakup I lost my job and basically couldn't move out because there was a lockdown and to be honest with you I couldn't move out anyway because I couldn't afford to live anywhere wow that's quite intense but good intense yeah no it was I <laughs> mean comedy material intense which one <laughs> do you know what I mean I was gonna say good for me ask her how she feels about it I mean I'm, I always caveat it but obviously it was a really terrible experience in in the world and but, but we sort of it was nice to spend that time with her to see her more up close and really nice for my kids to spend so much time with her and um, I think for her to sort of spend time with them for such a long period of time although she may disagree I think she's there's a lot of like tidying up and mess and kids I'm like yeah (laughs) yes there is yes there is (laughs) yeah I think there were there were definitely hidden gifts weren't there in the pandemic I mean there, there were there were hidden gifts about getting to know siblings or children or whatever it was better and sometimes that worked out for the best and sometimes that worked out for the worst but yeah at least you got to know people <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah <laughs> I was I was able to actually be quite useful I you know I was able to help and and it was nice to be able to find that I was able to to sort of chip in and 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 help her out so I enjoyed that and it was a nice period in which I think we got to know each other as adults um yeah. That and, and and I think that's been really really beneficial actually for our relationship. And I think it says a lot if you can live with someone for six months, come out the other side of it, and like each other potentially more than when you went into it. I think that's a really good sign. I think so too. And I also think um, I'm one of three girls that um, the first time I can remember asking my younger sister for help as two adults was like a big moment. So maybe that was your big moment. She needed you actually to keep the kids occupied while she was doing Zooms or whatever. And all of a sudden, it's not just the younger sister going to the older sister saying, help sort this out or advise me about this. It it becomes equitable. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, I think one thing about India is that she is extremely stoic and very resourceful. So in a way, it was sort of like, I knew that if I hadn't been there, she would have coped and she would have coped absolutely fine. So if she's the resilient stoic, how do you Mm -hmm. think she would describe you? 
God. <laughs> that was a very um, French sigh, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> For example, I realised like what an extrovert she is, you know, and how she, you know, she loves going out. She's always out. She's always going out to cultural events and the theatre and things like that. And so I'm quite an introvert, you know. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. Like, you're not bored. Are you not bored of going out? You're not bored of going to the theatre. I always feel a bit sorry for her because I think, like, for example, at Christmas, she'll come round. She'll be like, "Come on, can we do charades? Let's all watch a film together." <laughs> you know, let's all. And she really, she wants to gather people together. She wants to have. And I'm be like, no, just, just we all just want to watch our iPads individually, okay? And not, and not talk, okay? That's fine. She'll say that I'm dramatic. That I think is definitely true. I could be quite, I definitely could be quite melodramatic uh, growing up. But because I was the third and I had two sisters on either side of me who also had very big personalities, I actually, I think, um, or at least I've, I've heard externally, and I feel it to be true, was a little bit more on the side of wanting to make life easier for people and was quite accommodating. Mm. Um, within middle. I'm the that- middle. Team. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Within the family. We're peacekeepers. Yes. No, no, it's that. It's that. It's sort of like, oh, well, if you want that, then I can do this. Like, if you want that one, I'll take the other one. You know, if you want that, I'll have this. Or like, don't worry too much. If you prefer that bedroom, I'll take this, you know. It was that, that sort of vibe. And, and did you have a sense when you were little, I know you were very different in age, that your mum was brave or uh, lonely? Because I'm g- guessing she might have been a bit lonely if there was just like the middle of nowhere countryside and people who'd lived there for 9,000 years or doing something kind of wild. Did you kind of look at her as an adult and tip your hat to her? Or I think when you're little you just or you're young, you just sort of love your parents and you just take you know oh where's this going no no you, no no, no. <laughs> I mean you, sorry I mean you just sort of take we just take it for granted along, but, yeah, yeah and you go along with I mean certainly as I say when I've become an adult and I've had children I'm like wow that's like having kids is really hard mm. <laughs> you know yeah I when mean, we were it's younger really sort of reset it in in and I, I said to my mum in the past like, I just don't know how you or why that you had so many kids. No, I don't know. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't know coped. how you did yeah. it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think, she, you know, she's sort of got quite a, a, an adventurous spirit, doesn't she, about her, which I I really admire. Yeah, I you guess know, so. She's still like that. I mean, if that's what we're calling it. Definitely, yeah. it's... <laughs> I, I think when, when I was younger, I didn't think there was anything particularly outside the norm mm. of our upbringing. Yes, we were, we, we were an English family in France, but I don't remember thinking that it was a particularly unusual setup. And there was it was a time when people were doing it. Oh, you know, 100%. It you know, there was a yeah, lot of people. There were other English people. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. by itself. That, I would say that, that was strange. Def- yeah. Definitely. Those mm. early 90s were definitely actually quite, I think, a golden period mm. in terms of people, Europe opening itself up and, and families going mm. out there to sort of try their luck at a, mm. a, essentially like a better future for themselves mm. and a nicer work-life balance, I think was the theory behind it. But yeah, as an adult, I do look back on it and I think, yeah, that must have been tough. I wonder as well, I read uh, Lynn Barber, the author, and I've quoted it before in talking about this podcast, which is that as adults, when you're proper friends and you've both described that obviously you are now peers and adults and friends, you become sort of super bonded by um, the unique circumstances of your upbringing. So the fact that your mum did that and moved you to a house that was based on an English pub in the middle of the French countryside, and that was your experience. And you think there isn't really anybody else that would understand any of that. 
yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that's the thing, isn't it, with with siblings, why it's such a, even if you, even if they annoy you or, you know, you're not friends with them as an adult, for example, they're the only people in a way who have lived through the exact, even if, if their interpretation of it is different, that sort of get what you're saying and you can describe it ad nauseum to somebody else, but but they will understand it in a way that other people just won't, yeah. you know. But I also do remember, I, I think it's funny because there was a period in which uh, when we were sort of just becoming adults where I think that I thought that maybe <laughs> our family was a bit dysfunctional and it was all quite crazy. I remember thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is all, like that's really, we have this terrible family actually where like things were really properly all over the place. And then and then as I've gotten older, I've realised actually that actually bizarre we have a very functional family yeah like the the circumstances (laughs) the circumstances were quite I suppose in brackets eccentric and there was all like the white bread and just the the little eccentricities of being like in a single parent family five women in this house in France there were lots of stories that were quite eccentric but actually in terms of the relationships and the affection and the love Mm. as cliche as that sounds I think that we're very much sort of textbook sort of family that loves each other thank you to tatty and india on instagram tatty is at tatty underscore mcleod you'll find details of shows and tours there and just some very funny reels and a huge thank you to our sponsors, Find My Past, who are offering you the chance to start your family tree for free. Head to findmypast.co.uk to find out more. That's findmypast.co.uk. Enormous thanks as well to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use this amazing song. Additional research this season by Rachel Oakes and sound design, as always, by Nick Carter at mixonics.com. This is the last episode in the current series of Relatively. Do have a look back at the last three series for more siblings chat with guests like Gokwan, Chris Packham, Sheku Kenna-Mason and Ahir Shah. We'll be back later in the year with more. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside Another rain may fall your father's calling you, you still feel safe inside, only your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you, you still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, I still Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.